Hello and a very warm welcome to the gardening podcast that's for everyone who wants to enjoy growing their own flowers, fruit and vegetables. I'm Dan. And I'm Julia. And together we're two good gardeners. We're an all-inclusive podcast, so whether your garden is big or small, north or south, sunny or shady, we're here to share our gardening know-how and great ideas that you can try at home. We upload new episodes every fortnight, packed with news, timely tips and the occasional interview with gardeners we admire. We know you're busy people, so we like to keep things short and sweet. Think of this podcast as a bento box of delicious goodies to be consumed with gusto. And now we've whetted your appetite, let's crack on with episode two, sponsored by Alatex, home of the modern Victorian greenhouse, designed in the UK for over 70 years and built worldwide. It's great to be back, isn't it, Julia? I don't know about you, but I feel a hundred times more relaxed this time. <laughs> relaxed and relieved, actually, Dan. It was it was quite testing, wasn't it, getting our first one out? But, oh, it was such a good feeling afterwards. I kind of had a smile on my face sort of after the first few reviews. And, um, and actually, I was worried about your ears because they got so hot last time. So can you report back on the ears? They get very hot and they are just as hot today. And I think what we really <laughs> wanted to do before we get going is send big virtual hugs to everyone who listened to episode one, especially if you left us a review because the response has been so incredible, hasn't it? Oh, yes. I mean, we peaked at 10th in the Apple podcast charts, which was just amazing. And we had over 600 downloads since the launch and hundreds of people entered our giveaway. And the lucky winner will be receiving a signed copy of my book and lots of Dan's goodies from Dan Cooper Garden. How amazing is that? I know. It was so nice. I enjoyed packing them up and getting them off in the post. So, Julia, what have you been up to down in East Sussex this fortnight? Well, in East Sussex, I have been busy in the greenhouse. I have planted out finally the sweet peas, the ones sown in the autumn, and the shallots got put out too. Potted up tomatoes and my chilies. I got the potatoes in that I've been wittering on about. I paid my monthly visit to the BBC studios for BBC Radio Sussex for my vegetable slot at lunchtimes. And um, with great excitement, I was meant to be taking my grow-along plant of a loofah which we've been doing with listeners and um, rather disastrously the whole thing's failed so I actually had to take a jam jar full of seeds doing nothing. (laughs) Quite awkward anyway. They're quite the thing aren't they loofahs? Are they hard to grow? Well they're actually not that hard to grow but they're difficult to germinate and that's what I've discovered so yeah they're rather like a a really temperamental cucumber and if you try growing cucumbers before in the early stages you'll know what I mean but I'm determined not to fail. (laughs) I'm intrigued by the idea of a temperamental cucumber I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear anyway that's the Sussex shenanigans and then the highlight was actually we went away for a night stay at the Pig Hotel in Devon which I'm just back from when it was absolutely fantastic. So they have the most incredible kitchen gardens at all the pigs. And I have to say the Devon one is exceptional with three walled gardens. So I have come home with so much inspiration and probably a bit of jealousy, but it's just been magnificent. So, yeah, that's what I've been up to. That sounds brilliant. And less than two months to go until the Chelsea Flower Show. How are you getting on with your plans for that? 
Yes, so remaining calm um, and actually having come back from the pig, I have so many ideas. So yeah, actually I'm all fired up and ready to go and actually can't wait. Can't wait till May. That's brilliant. Okay, so that's enough about me, Dan. What about you? What have you been up to in Kent? Well, my uh, favourite little win of the last fortnight is they actually managed to make a successful reel that people wanted to watch. I would really like to take the credit for it, but it was actually your footage of your toilet roll trickery that I managed to cut in with some decent music and it worked out rather well. I gave myself a little pat on the back for that. I have uh, cleaned my greenhouse um, on the inside at least and it's lovely now because I can get in there and all my seeds are laid out nicely and everything's neat and tidy so I'm very happy about that and out in my jungle garden I've been moving pots around to create a crazy sort of Carmen Miranda cut style display around my outdoor kitchen sink it looks like something out of a 70s seed catalogue but I really don't care And then (laughs) seed sowing has begun in earnest and I have been staggered at how quickly everything has been germinating. So lots of the seeds that we planted on Sunday are already up. Um, So three or four days and I've got marigolds, I've got cosmos and also some of the harder to grow things that I have been cold stratifying outside. So I'm very happy with how everything's going despite the fact it's still a bit chilly outdoors. Gosh, Dan, that's quite incredible that they've germinated in only a few days. You must be quite a few degrees warmer on the coast in Kent than we are because it's taking me a good, at least a good week for sort of easy things to germinate. So lucky you. Now, every fortnight, we are going to be picking a hot topic to discuss something that's either in the news of the moment or just dear to our hearts. And this time uh, we've decided to talk about sweet peas. And I don't know about you, Dan, but I feel quite strongly about this topic because Easter time marks good sort of busy garden centre visiting where you will all see sweet pea seedlings for sale. And they are crammed into a little pot, lots of little tender seedlings. And I get quite cross about it because I think that if people don't really read the signs, they take them home and they plant them, they will die. So I think it's sort of a word of caution on a hot topic. So if you are going to be tempted to buy them, please do. I'm not saying don't buy them, but I think it's really important when you bring them home, put them somewhere protected, frost-free. Do not plant them out because they will die. Not only will you have to divide up these cram seedlings and disturb all the roots, but if we get a, a late frost, which we're probably guaranteed to get a cold snap, then they will all die. They're just not hardy enough. So, I don't know, do you often see that and get crossed, Dan? Yes, it is one of my um, pet frustrations, if that's the right terminology, is any kind of seasonal summer bedding that gets put out very early. And it's okay if you've got a greenhouse or somewhere to grow it on, as you say, to harden it off. But I think people are um, encouraged to buy bedding plants very, very early. Uh, The garden centres are obviously eager to get that trade in early. But all of those plants that you see are not ready to go outside until the frosts are well behind. And in old money, that would have been the end of May. Climate change has meant that we can put things out a little bit earlier and it very much depends where you are in the country but whether it's sweet peas or petunias 
now is far, far too early to be even considering exposing anything to the outdoor um, temperatures. So yes, I completely agree. And, um, you know, if you can't wait and you really want to snap something up, then just make sure you keep them indoors for a good uh, month to six weeks yet. And I think you've got some other quite good uh, sweet pea tips as well, haven't you, if people are growing them at home? I have. So the first thing is that I've talked about planting mine out earlier on in this episode, but that's because they were sown in the autumn. So please, if you're listening, don't get confused that I've planted mine out and they're not new, fresh, tender seedlings. So they've got big, strong roots. So yeah, so um, my autumn ones are fine. I've pinched them out. So I think it's really important to pinch out the growing tips of your sweet peas to get many more flowers, because obviously that's the reason you're growing them is more flowers, more scent. Um, and I've got obviously is no surprise to you Dan a thrifty tip for that so with my pinched out tips if they are relatively long so about the size of my finger then I remove the lower leaves off these tips that I've cut and I pop them in a glass of fresh tap water and in a couple of weeks weeks those tips start growing roots and um, when they're slightly bigger I've got maybe three roots minimum then I will pop them into a loo roll or if it's warm I'll even put them straight outside because basically those tips have become brand new sweet pea plants so I actually double my stock it, it's amazing and you know you've got to love plants for free haven't you Yes. Now, I have never done this. Is it is it quite easy to do? And do the plants grow away just as strongly as the ones you've grown from seed? Yes, it's quite incredible. Bearing in mind, I only take cuttings from my autumn ones, so they're quite strong plants anyway. But I can see no reason as to why you wouldn't do it with quite big plants that you've sown in the spring or, or bought in the spring. And it is so easy to do. The only thing you have to remember is just change the water. I change mine about once a week. You just don't want the water going mouldy. But always use fresh tap water because that's got the chlorine in and it'll just kill off any bacteria that might possibly have got onto the stem or, or that could breed so it, it I mean it's brilliant I mean I literally double my stock that is a fantastic tip of course for any cuttings that you're growing in water is to always keep the water clean because as the bacteria build up that's when they can sometimes rot off at the bottom so um, yes I'm sure you'll have lots of people who are listening trying out that little tip with their um, little tip with their tip of the sweet bees <laughs> Okay, so now it is time for me to share my pick of the bunch. And in each episode, I'm going to talk to you about a plant that's in its prime right now. Sometimes it's going to be something strange and exotic from my garden, but this week I have chosen the humble daffodil. And the reason I love daffodils so much is because they are very close to my heart. They, they grow prolifically in the West Country, which is where my family come from and where I grew up. And it's where that they are happiest in the UK because daffodils are one of those plants that really likes to be damp all year round. They don't like to be baked dry in the summer particularly, although some of the Mediterranean species are better with that than others. Down in Cornwall, daffodils will flower from October on the Isles of Scilly, where they're grown commercially, and they will go all the way through to May. And that's sustained by hundreds of different varieties that have been bred over the years. And many of them have 
self-hybridized. So often when you see swathes of daffodils growing in the countryside or in big gardens, they have hybridized between one another and created all sorts of weird and wonderful new varieties. And you'll often see daffodils growing in graveyards and in hedgerows as well, which is where somewhere where they seem to be really happy because they're undisturbed and they can just get along and multiply. And I just think that in March there is nothing quite like a daffodil. This year has been so chilly that they'll go right on through until April and we'll have a really lovely display. So Easter will be about daffodils and not tulips, I think, this year. One thing that is worth noting with daffodils is that they can be toxic in a couple of different ways. Um, all parts of a daffodil are actually not that great for you. So the bulbs uh, will give you a very severe tummy upset if you eat them. So best not to. And definitely do not do what an old neighbour of ours did and confuse them with shallots because they do not make a good casserole. And the other part <laughs> of the daffodil you need to avoid is the sap. So when you're picking them, uh, the sap will drip out and that contains something called calcium oxalate and that is a irritant, so that could irritate your skin. Um, so very important to wear gloves or just wash your hands after you pick them. So I'm going to interrupt you there, Dan, because actually when I pick flowers or the daffodils to put in vases here, and I grow only the narcissi for picking, which strangely the bulbs do look quite a lot like shallots, so watch out family. But anyway, um, well, I never put them with other flowers in the vase because those flowers within two days always die. And so actually you're right, it's the sap. It literally kills off other flowers or other varieties. So yes. that's a good tip, yeah. And I have heard that a way to get round it that florists use is to stand their daffodils separately in water for a, a few hours before they then mix them in with other flowers. And then apparently it's not quite so much of a problem. I've not tried it, but it's definitely worth a go if you'd like to create a mixed bouquet. But I think daffodils are, are very precious in that you can pick them very tightly in bud and they will open out indoors. A lot of flowers won't do that. So they sort of, they've, you know, they've got to be well open before you pick them. But daffodils can be tightly in bud. In a cool room, they'll last you five to seven days and give you lots of, uh, lots of joy. My top tips for daffodils as they start to go over is to make sure you deadhead them. Um, that will help the daffodil to put all its energy back into building up big bulbs and better flowers for the next season. The only exception to that is if you're naturalising daffodils in grass, then it can be a good idea to leave the seeds on because daffodils will seed and new daffodils will grow from those seeds, but it will take three to five years before they actually produce a flower. The other thing to just be careful of is to make sure the foliage stays on all the way through until it goes completely bone dry and brown. Don't mow it off. 
don't tie it into a knot and don't cut it off at ground level because you're basically cutting off the bulb's food supply. So just let the daffodils die down, ignore how messy and horrid they look because they will look messy and horrid. And, um, and as soon as they're completely straw dry, just gather that foliage up and the bulbs will be dormant underground, although not for very long. So they have a little rest in sort of June, July time, but you if you dig them up, you will find that by August, September, they're already putting down new roots for the next year. So that's me on daffodils. Julia, you are going to uh, match my uh, pick of the bunch with your top of the crops, are you not? Well, I am, but I've had difficulty deciding between which crop is top, basically. So I couldn't decide between rhubarb and the one I'm going to talk about, which is wild garlic. So I don't know if you've noticed that uh, wild garlic has been springing up everywhere, not just in the woodlands, but also on social media. There's been an awful lot of posts coming up about it. And it is just coming into its prime or well, in some places here in Sussex, it is, but probably further north, it'll be it'll be appearing, making an appearance. And it is the most incredible crop, not only because it's free, and as we know, it's a thrifty top of the crop this this time, um, but because actually it's very easy to go and find. There's so much of it that you are able to go and help yourself to to the to the leaves. Well, flowers too, but I pick the leaves. Just a word of caution: if you are going to go and forage some, please make sure that you are not on private property. So there's an awful lot. There's plenty for everyone. So don't take the whole lot, but you are welcome and you are allowed to help yourself to some. Just make sure you don't clear clear everything out. But, you know, you don't need masses to be able to, to cook with. Um, it, it's not to be confused with Lily of the Valley, which is also kind of a low growing ground cover, shady loving, moist loving plant. This looks more like a tiny white allium is the best way to describe it with a round flower. You won't see the flowers yet, it's just the green leaves. And actually the early fresh green leaves are the best ones to pick because they're more flavoursome. It's milder than bulb garlic and um, it, it has got just as much flavour but just not as strong. And we love it and we go and get a couple of carrier bags full which is more than enough. You can freeze it, eat it raw, uh, there's so much you can do from it. And it is just the the, um, the leaves and the flowers that you harvest. It's not, don't go digging and looking for bulbs because it, it is very different. Um, but we chop it, freeze it in butter. My daughter made some delicious scones and I've got a new family favourite, which is a chicken Kiev made with the wild garlic last year. And it was really yum. Dan, do you love it? Do you hate it? What do you do with it? No, I absolutely love it. I, I sort of can't get enough of it when I see it. So, But as you say, I am judicious about where I get it from and how much I take. Um, but I absolutely love it. I prefer it to spinach. It's uh, just got the most wonderful, delicate taste, hasn't it? And you, there yeah. is something so satisfying about foraging for something um, and making use of something that's that's there that's just grown naturally and actually actually using that rather than having to cultivate something of your own I am the um 
Latin name geek out of the partnership. So it's worth just mentioning that there are two types of wild garlic, both of which are edible. One, uh, which is the one that Julia has been talking about, is Allium ursinum, which has the wider leaves and the little greyish white flowers. Um, and it does look very spinachy. The other one, which you see a lot, particularly in Cornwall, um, but in the West Country as well, is Allium triquetrum, which is the three-cornered leek. And you'll know that one because it has more sort of long leaves like a daffodil. Do not eat daffodil leaves. And uh, the same sort of greyish white flowers. But it's the reason you know what it is, is because it has a stem that is triangular. So if you snap a flower stem off, you'll see that it has a triangular profile. That one's also edible. I think you might even have tried eating it quite recently, haven't you? Well, I did, although it did confuse me because it was actually on the menu at the pig, um, but it was called a three-legged leek and it slightly threw me for a bit. And I sort of had thought, well, hang on. And then I remembered your knowledge of world garlic. And I thought, no, it's not a le leek with three stems or three legs. <laughs> it's part of the world garlic family. <laughs> it is. And one thing I think w that we should mention is that they are both um, quite invasive species in the garden so it's probably not something you'd want to try growing on an allotment or in a vegetable garden but if you have a nice rough patch if you're lucky enough to have a woodland garden with a you know uh, or a hedge or something like that where there's some cool moist shade then it's a good place to grow it and let it just romp along on its own but it, I think if you put it into particularly anywhere where there's rocks or paving, you will find that it's very successful at coming up in every gap imaginable. That's a really good tip, Dan. So actually to treat it a bit like mint, so you, if you wanted to grow it in your garden, you would put it in a separate container, um, but a deep one. So maybe you could use something like a butler's sink or, or, you know, as you so rightly said, a rough area that nothing else is going to grow near. But one thing I would say is if you're unsure as to whether it's wild garlic that you can see, there's one easy way to tell, and that's just sniff the air because you can smell it, can't you? Sometimes if I'm driving yes. along and the window is down, you can just smell the garlic. So that's the usual detection zones and you'll be fine. <laughs> I love that smell. Yeah, and as you say, if, if you can't smell it in the air, pick a leaf and you will definitely smell it. There is no question of that it's a, a member of the sort of onion or garlic clan. Yep, good. Okay, so, that, so that's my top crop. So moving on to product of the month, Dan. So which of your many tempting products are you going to share with us this time? Well, it's spring. So I have got lots of new products coming onto the website. And, um, you know, I've been a buyer for most of my career. So I get very excited about uh bringing new things in and finding new things. You have to kind of stop me, really. Otherwise, I go a bit crazy. Um, this week, though, I'm going to talk about a new range of seeds that I've launched, which are specially selected for smaller gardens, balconies, patios, and growing in containers. And this is a real um, need, I think, because... Uh, there can be so many seeds available. You look through seed catalogues, it's quite bewildering. And if you have a smaller garden, what you're really looking for is compact varieties that aren't going to go crazy and that are also easy to grow. So Piccolo Seeds is a new uh, brand. They're uh, based in Italy 
and all the seeds are open pollinated which means there are no um, artificial hybrids there the, the bees and pollinators are allowed to uh, naturally pollinate them and the seeds come true from the natural crossing uh, the packets that they're all packed in are really beautifully designed. They, they've got no plastic in them and they are absolutely bursting with information. So rather than the usual sort of fairly scant instructions you get, it goes through in a lot of detail how to grow each variety and gives you ideas about how to pick or harvest and also some really nice ideas about companion planting you can do. So I think they're brilliant for urban gardeners, for novices and also for experienced gardeners to give as gifts to others as well because the packaging is so pretty. There are 12 altogether in the range. There are six individual packets and in there there's things like zinnia and echinacea and cosmos and then there are six trios which are all little groups of plants that have an association so there's some speciality salad leaves there's unusual fruits and flowers for pollinators among them and i will put a little link to the range in the show notes so everybody can have a look but that's my product of the month well, it's a lovely product and perfect timing because we're becoming onto full-on seed sowing season, aren't we? And also the piccolo seeds, the designs are lovely. And as you so rightly say, they do make really gorgeous gifts, especially the little, you get three in a in a pack, don't you, if you want to give yes. the gift set. And they are yes. just charming. So I'm definitely going to be getting some of those to give us gifts down. They're lovely. And pollinators and edibles too. So I'm all for that. So yeah, that's a great product. So I'm going to move on to my project of the fortnight and I've chosen an Easter project because well it's timely and I just think with things going on it's quite fun to have something egg type as a display on your Easter table for lunch so I'm going to talk about saving eggshells using them as little mini planters and popping them in an egg box on your table what well, you don't have to but um, so all you need is a little bit of compost some gravel to go in some eggshells that you've saved from cooking washed before you use them um, try and keep them about half the size so just not little tiny shallow shells because they're going to have to hold a plant and I think what should look really nice would be some little mascari grape hyacinths would be nice in them and if you pop them back into the egg box it would look great just don't overwater them so a bit of gravel bit of compost and then you could add some mascari or some little violas would look really nice or some primulas but make sure they're small or you could even sow some seeds you could have an eggable Oh, I can't speak to an edible Easter display. Oh, where I you like just eggable. Let's, let's stick with eggable. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Okay, an eggable Easter display. Try saying that after a glass of wine. Um, but you could sow some cress or some radishes and you could let you know, help yourselves to it. You could put anything in them, but it, it's quite a fun idea. And the nice thing about it is that after Easter, you can pick up each of your little mini plants or your seedlings and you can just gently squeeze the eggshell so it cracks and you can plant the whole thing outside and the roots will grow through and eventually the eggshells will biodegrade and they add a bit of grit to the soil. And it's a sort of win-win really, Dan. It's lovely. And I've been thinking about this since you first introduced the idea. And I thought, you know, there's lots you could do to extend the project. You could decorate the egg carton, couldn't you? And you could add 
multicolored tissue under the eggs just to give it a little bit of flair. You can see that, you know, this is this is me all over, just taking things one step <laughs> too far. But I think it's a really <laughs> lovely project. And with, with the school Easter holidays coming up, I think people are grateful of any nice little project that just doesn't take too long, but but has a nice impact over an amount of time. So I think that's really, really lovely and charming. Oh, good. I'm glad you like it. Thanks, Dan. So we're now going to talk about the jobs to do over the next fortnight. And this week, Julia is going to share those with you. And I'm going to follow up at the end with a bit more detail on dahlias. So over to you, Julia. Okay, so one of the many jobs is to change over from your winter feed to summer feed if you're growing citrus, so limes and lemons, kumquats, things like that. So it's a good time to switch the feeds over and to give them a little bit of water. And when it gets a bit milder, you can actually put them outside if you've been growing inside or undercover. Start mowing the lawns. You'll have noticed they've been slightly taking off a bit. Uh, It's a good time to sow hardy annuals between now and and early May. Plant out potatoes, main crop by the end of the month. Sow squashes, courgettes, pumpkins, but undercover. And also, very important, protect from mice. Stay on top of weeds, sow parsnips direct. Salads, more salads, more tomatoes, some herbs, chard, radish, carrots. The list is nearly endless. And if you're growing peach or apricot or nectarines, the blossom is always really early, so it's around now. So you'll need to help the pollination. So I have a little paintbrush and I dab from flower to flower because although there are some bees, actually the blossom is going to need a helping hand to produce some fruit. Planting out leeks, it's a perfect time. And then finally, dahlias, it's time to pot them up. But Dan is now going to elaborate much more on that topic. Over to you, Dan. Yes, one of my favourite topics, dahlias. But before I talk about that, I I do love your bit of advice about peach and apricot blossoms. And one of my first memories of growing up is my grandpa taking me through the greenhouses on a big country estate, pollinating all of the fruit flowers with a rabbit tail on the end of a garden cane. (laughs) And oh my goodness. Uh, because in the greenhouses, you didn't get so many pollinators in there. So it was the only way to really do it. But that was a, a very happy memory that I have of that. Mm. So back to dahlias. And uh, I promised to talk about them this time and just give a bit of advice on how to get them going. There are three ways to grow dahlias. You can grow them from seed. You can grow them from tubers, either bought ones or ones that you've saved from the previous year. And you can also grow them from cuttings. And they're all incredibly easy ways to grow them, but each has its own different benefits. All of them as well will flower in year one. So whichever way you choose to grow your dahlias, you're going to get flowers this year. Seeds are brilliant because they're very cheap and you don't know what you're going to get. So you could have an amazing display which will be completely unique to you because dahlias are very promiscuous flowers and they cross and cross and cross. So what you don't get with dahlia seeds is any certainty whatsoever of what the flowers are going to be like and very likely that they're going to be single flowered which is better for pollinators but won't give you necessarily the big doubles that you're 
looking for. Um, dahlia breeders will perhaps grow thousands of different seedlings in the hopes of getting just one that is worth keeping. So seedlings, a big adventure. They will grow very, very vigorously and you'll get lovely flowering plants, but they do uh, tend to be quite variable. Tubers, of course, is how most people will grow their dahlias and they will either buy new ones from a garden centre, in which case you're looking out for really nice, plump, juicy tubers that are in no way wrinkled when you're buying them. So if they look sort of dry and shriveled up, leave them for the um, garden centre gods to take away wherever they take them and, <laughs> um, and go for the nice plump ones. And if you've saved them from the year before, then uh, do the same, but you can sort of bring them out of their sawdust or old compost that you've been storing them in. Just check them over to make sure there are no rotten bits, which you should remove. And if you do have to cut any bits off, a little dusting with yellow sulphur will just make sure that there's no rot that sets in later. And then cuttings are the most overlooked way of growing dahlias, but I think the best. So you can uh, order cuttings from lots of different suppliers. I use Halls of Hedden, who are up in Northumberland, but lots of people will send you cuttings. And the reason that that is good is that cuttings are extremely vigorous. So it's a very, very good way to get early flowers and big flowers, because that cutting is going to put all its heart and soul into producing a really good set of tubers in year one. You'll find that many professional growers and exhibitors use cuttings rather than tubers because of that vigour. You can take your own cuttings from tubers as well by potting up the tuber, putting it somewhere warm, not letting it get too damp, so just moist compost and then when the shoots get to about five to seven centimeters long you can remove them with a scalpel something like a stanley knife is perfect or a scalpel blade or even a razor blade if you're brave you just cut them off with a tiny little bit of tuber like a little sliver of uh, tuber attached pop pop them in some gritty compost stick a plastic bag over them and keep them moist and they will root really, really quickly. And they will, although they look really, really tiny now, they will be bigger than your plants grown from tubers by June or July, I can guarantee you. So that's how to grow them um, from new, but also worth thinking about any dahlias that you've kept in the ground. Some people do that and in fact I do do that because I don't have the space to dig all of my dahlias up. If you have got tubers in the ground then just make sure that you put something around them to protect them from slugs and snails because when those little shoots come through they are going to be like a magnet to mollusks so you want to put something like uh, sheep's wool pellets around them or some copper tape around them just so that they can get to at least 20 centimeters or so before you take the protection away because while they're very small they will just very easily get nibbled off so that's how to start them off really. It's it's very easy. You, they don't need to do very much. You just need to make sure they're kept warm and in really good light so that they don't become leggy and you must not plant any dahlias out until all danger of frost is past. 
lots of people got their fingers burnt, for want of a better term, last year because they put them out too early and they got frosted off. So leave it as long as you can. It's often the late May bank holiday before I will put my new dahlias out and that is fine. You will still get a great display because they will peak in September or October in terms of flowering. Okay, Dan, that's brilliant advice. Thank you. I've learnt lots. I've even learnt that I can grow a dahlia from a cutting. But when would I make a cutting? Is that something I can do on a plant grown, you know, at springtime? Or should I be doing that in the autumn? I'm not sure. That's a very good question. So you can only take a cutting from a dahlia before the stem becomes hollow. So the cutting must be taken when it is quite small coming off the tuber. Professional growers will start their dahlia tubers into growth in January so that they can be sending their cuttings out to customers in March and April. But for us normal home gardeners, any time now you can start your tubers off. Uh, it's just when that cutting gets to about that um, length, the stem will still be solid. The minute it becomes that hollow cane that we're so used to when we're cutting our dahlias down at the end of the year, it's gone too far and it, it won't root. So you've got to take them when they're young. Okay, that's really good advice. Thank you, Dan. So cuttings are the way forward. That's exciting. I'm going to look forward to really big dahlias this year. Thank you. <laughs> Right, so believe it or not, we are reaching the end of this episode, episode two. But before we go, we're going to tell you where you can find us in the next fortnight. So I'm going to start off. So I've got quite a busy two weeks. I'm doing a one-to-one -one consultation um, in someone's garden and they don't know it yet, but obviously they need a veg patch. Then I will be sourcing some onion seedlings for a local competition that's held in my garden once a year at the end of the summer. So I'm going to be sourcing the Kelsey variety, giant onions, and I've not won, so obviously I'm quite keen to nail it this year. So I should be doing that. It's, it's a really fun competition with some neighbours and actually it brings us all together. So that's good. Then I'm going to be on the 5th of April at Clifton Nurseries in the heart of London in Maida Vale. And I'm going to be doing a little workshop. So if anyone's in the area, I'm taking the Little Growers Cookbook and I'm going to be doing a couple of things from that and I will be signing copies. So doing that. And then the last thing I will be tootling back and going onto the radio with hopefully some improvement on the loofah seeds but also chatting about what you can do and grow in April so that's my lot what about you Dan where are you going and what are you up to well I'm very excited about your onions actually I, I, I might have to try and take part but I'm not very um, successful with onions unfortunately I, I so I don't think I'm going to be any threat to you whatsoever. <laughs> I am very much on my marks and getting set for the plant fair season. So I'm doing over 30 between now and the end of September. And the first one is going to be in Northamptonshire this Sunday, April the 2nd, at Evanley Wood Gardens near Brackley. And that's happening from 10 until 4 and it promises to be a really super event. I think keen gardeners are just itching to get out and buy some new plants now, not 
bedding plants but um it's a great time actually to be planting hardy hardy perennials out in the garden um the soil is warming up uh the rain is plentiful so they get a really good start in life so if you're in any of those areas it's in a stone's throw of milton Keynes, coventry birmingham oxford you'd be able to get to brackley and join me for that and then over the Easter weekend, I'll be back on home ground for the Broadsteads Food Festival, which is one of our favourite local events, one of the best food festivals in the country, and we can get to it within five minutes walking. So we're very happy. And it's one of our biggest wow. stands that we have at any of our events. So we're really looking forward to seeing all our friends and all the local people in Broadstairs and Thanet uh, for a real celebration of food. And we will be focusing on sewing and growing because that is the time of year it is. It is certainly. Gosh, you are busy, Dan. So and looking forward um, to the 22nd of April, Alatex are going to be hosting a an open morning at their head office, which is near Petersfield on Torbury Farm. And that's going to be open from nine in the morning till four in the afternoon. So if you're considering a greenhouse, then you can go and see one of their lovely ones built on site and have a chat with staff. So a busy time for everyone, actually, Dan, isn't it? Um, but it is important to remember to enjoy the change of seasons amongst the Malay that's going on. I think so. I think that's so easily forgotten at this time of year when we're all like on our marks, getting set. The list of jobs to do is endless. But actually, the real joy, I think, of April is just witnessing that change of seasons, the unstoppable force of spring that you get right now. And uh, I do try to take a you know, hot drink outside, a cup of tea, or even a little bit later in April, try and sit outside and eat my lunch just to absorb everything that's going on. The birds singing, making nests, flowers coming out, bees bumbling around. That is the real joy of April, I think. Oh, totally. It's a truly exciting time, isn't it, if you're a gardener? So it just remains now for me to say thanks to everyone for listening. Enjoy your garden, as Dan has just described, and we'll be back with more tips, tricks and bountiful banter in two weeks' time. So it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. You've been listening to the Two Good Gardeners podcast with me, Dan Cooper and Julia Parker. Sponsored by Alatex, home of the modern Victorian greenhouse, designed in the UK for over 70 years and built worldwide. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then why not click follow on your favourite podcast platform so you don't miss out. Leaving a rating or a review will help us reach other gardening enthusiasts like you. We'll return here with a freshly prepared smorgasbord of delights in a fortnight. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at Dan Cooper Garden, at Parker's underscore patch and at Two Good Gardeners or visit our websites. You'll find the addresses in the show notes. If you've got questions for either of us, you can email them to hello at dancoopergarden.com. Until the next time, happy gardening!